Good morning. First of all, let me apologize for my voice. I guess you all know I've been fighting bronchitis for about 10 days or so. So, but I am here and feeling better and that's good. Just ain't talk too good. But let me give you a couple announcements. Can everyone hear me? We can, I can crack the volume up, I guess, if you can. First of all, remind you of prayer cards. You have a prayer request, you'll raise your hand and one of the ushers will get you, get you a request. I want to thank Bill Clute for, Bill Clute, it must get up awfully early because about 4.30 in the morning last Sunday, I sent him an email. 3.19. It was early, wasn't it? 3.19, I sent him an email. I said, Bill, there's any possible way you can read my sermon Sunday because I'm not going to be able to read it. <clears throat> and he answered me pretty promptly, so <laughs> and I really appreciate it. Adam Wycliffe has an announcement. Adam, hold off. I'm going to let you do your announcement, then I'm going to let uh, Eric do his, okay? And then we'll start. But this is Library Sunday, and Rochelle is going to take the children out for Library Day after, there she is, after the children's sermon, okay? Beth came through her surgery, but now she's going to be out for several weeks, and so office hours are only 9 to 1, Monday through Thursday, for a few weeks. So everybody please note that. Office hours are only 9 to 1, Monday through Thursday, for a few weeks, as those who are substituting uh, for Beth while she's out. Today at 4 o'clock, the Administrative Council will meet, and this is our uh, meeting, last big official meeting for the year. hope you'll attend. And next Sunday is Consecration Sunday. I will have one service at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary. And this is, the, this is when we pledge to support the budget for 2015. I just came out of a finance committee meeting. And there's a lot of demands, uh, utility cost, maintenance cost, uh, increased cost for youth and children's ministries, which are the lifeblood of our church. So we're anticipating that next year's budget may have to go up slightly. So we really need you to uh, prayerfully consider what you uh, can pledge towards the budget next year. Okay, Adam, if you'll come to yours, and then Eric, if you'll follow right behind Adam with his. Good morning. My voice is working, sorry. So I just want to remind everyone that on uh, next Sunday, Consecration Sunday, at 2 o'clock, uh, right outside the Family Life Center here, we'll be holding our 10th annual Merle State Hunger Walk. It's a benefit for Daily Bread Ministries, which uh, operates the Greer Soup Kitchen, as well as the, uh, our new homeless shelter, Greer Step, that you may have seen a giant pile of dirt over there, but we're building it, and this church is helping us build that shelter. Uh, the Hunger Walk is a symbolic one. Whoa, back up, Adam. It's a symbolic one-mile uh, walk from from here to the soup kitchen. Um, we will be taking donations of food and especially money. It's our big our biggest fundraiser of the year for the soup kitchen. I know I've been talking to you guys a lot about the homeless shelter, but we also can't forget about feeding the hungry in um, in Greer. 
So please do come out if you can. Uh, bring food, bring money. Um, if you bring $20, we'll give you a free t-shirt. Well, it's not free, it's 20 bucks, but whatever. Um, but we, do, we would love to see everyone from Memorial out there. Um, I've heard rumors that the youth will be there, um, and why not bring all their parents too, right? So um, again, it's uh, next Sunday, at, starting at two o'clock right outside the Family Life Center, and we'll be walking uh, from here down to the Greer Soup Kitchen. If you have any questions, you can, uh, you can find me and ask me. You can also go to our website, which is greersoupkitchen.com. Thanks. Good morning. When asked to speak about stewardship, uh, it Im immediately made me think of the blessings good stewardship at Memorial has blessed my life with. And without the right financial funding and use of talents, our church would not be where it is today. I've had the great pleasure of meeting lifelong friends, getting married, and watching my son and niece christened here at Memorial. Those things have all been possible because the congregation before us gave to the church knowing that God would provide for them. Our thriving youth, children's programs, and outreach committees need your help to continue the great work that God has in store for us here. Following up to Consecration Sunday, my family and I will be praying about next year's commitment. And our prayer will be that we are giving out of faith, not comfort. I challenge you and your family to do the same. Matthew 6, 26 reads, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Thank you. Will you stand and sing with us?
bow your heads and pray with me. Gracious God, we have so much to be thankful for. Help us during this Thanksgiving season to remember to stop and think of our all of our blessings that you've given us and be grateful for them, especially first and foremost for you and your love and the gift of our salvation. Bring us together today with grateful hearts and open our hearts and our minds to prepare us for the worship of you. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. If you will turn and greet your neighbor and children come forward for the children's sermon. Good morning. 
I'm glad to be here with y'all this morning. I'm glad you're here. Can everybody see? All right. I have a story to tell you this morning, and sometimes stories from the Bible are called parables. Have you ever heard of parables? Heard that word before? Sometimes those stories teach us a lesson we can learn from them. So I'm going to tell you a story today I found, okay? All right. Once upon a time, there was a man who had a construction business. You know what a construction business is, right? They build houses and buildings and stuff. The man had to go away on a long trip, and so he called his three employees together, and he said, I have to go on a long trip, and so I'm leaving you three in charge. I've put together a toolbox for each of you to use to keep the business going while I'm gone. The man then gave each of his employees a toolbox. The toolboxes contained all the tools the employees needed to do, needed to do what the man expected of them. But since the three employees didn't all have the same abilities, each toolbox was different. To the first employee, he gave a very large toolbox filled with every kind of tool that you could imagine. To the second employee, he gave a smaller toolbox, but one that still had a very good assortment of tools. And to the third employee, he gave a very, very small toolbox with just a few tool tools, but enough tools for the employee to do what was expected of him. So the man left to go on his trip. And when he returned, he called all three of his employees back together to see what they had done while he was gone. The first employee said, I knew that you had a great love for the homeless people of the world, so I used the toolbox that you gave me to build homes for the homeless. That is great, said the employer. You've done that so well that I'm going to put you in charge of all the new construction for the entire company. The second employee said, I knew that you had a great love for the elderly, so I used the toolbox that you gave me to fix up the homes of the elderly people who can no longer do the work themselves. That is wonderful, said the employer. You have done such a good job that I'm putting you in charge of all the repair and maintenance work for the whole entire company. Then he turned to the third employee and he asked, what did you do with the tools that I left for you? I knew that you are a very demanding boss and you expect a lot from your employees. I was afraid that if I used the tools that you gave me, that one of them might get broken or that I might lose one at one of them and make you angry. So I just put the tools in a very safe place. They were there the whole time you were gone. Look, here they are now, just like new. What a worthless employee you are. I didn't give you these tools for safekeeping. I gave them to you to use. You are fired. Since they had proven that they would make good use of them, he took the man's toolbox and he divided those tools among the other two employees. I think this story is a good picture of what God does for us. He's given each one of us tools to use in his kingdom, his building. We don't have all the same tools, and God doesn't expect us to use whatever tools he has given us the same. But if we do use the tools he's given us, he will give us even more. And if we don't, he may take them away and give them to somebody else who will use them. So we need to listen to the words of Jesus. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. So dear Lord, please help us this week to be faithful in using our gifts that you have given to us and to help others so that we can build your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let us bow our heads for prayer. O oh Lord, in your wisdom and grace, hear our prayers. O oh, merciful and loving God, long before you chose, long before we chose you, you chose us to be your children. And we thank you for your gracious reaching out to us and having shown us the way we're to live so we may set our hope in You. And so we seek to sing Your praises with our hearts and voices. We're reminded this day in our Scripture and sermon that Your Son has told us to be ready for His coming. And we're called to live a life of faith. But we must confess that sometimes we try to rely upon the faith of others to save us. We're not prepared for the judgment which is to come because we fail to live in hope that Your ways are sufficient. And so we live as if the future holds no consequence for us. We claim to love You, but too often we cling to our old ways. Forgive our lack of intention to live lives worthy of Your steadfast love. And may Your Holy Spirit energize us to work harder for the spread of Your Word. Aid us in being teachers of Your great deeds to generations that are yet to come that they may enjoy Your presence and make us messengers who live out the power of that which we have been entrusted. In Your mercy, You have promised that those who have died in the faith will be raised first when Christ comes again. Today, among our circle of friends and family, there are many who suffer from things that seek to destroy the body, the mind, and the spirit. We pray especially this way, this day for Steve Rogers who has suffered two strokes. We pray for Ellen Rogers. We pray for the recovery of Lindsay Beckenmeyer. We pray for Karen Titcomb, Beth Roberts. We pray for Candace Phillips and Dixie Kinnett who are undergoing surgery. We pray for Sandra Thomas, Brenda's sister who has undergone hospice care. We pray for Scott and Heather Breger, who are missionaries in Tanzania. Heather's very ill and they're back in the States so that she can have surgery. We pray, O oh Lord, for all these and all those in our hearts now. O oh Lord, give the comfort of Your presence to them and grant them peace and strength to endure. Hear us as we incline our hearts to You. For we pray in the name of Christ, who taught us to pray, saying these words, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I appreciate very much, as I said, uh, Bill doing uh, reading my sermon for me last week. That was the third of the fourth part of the Thessalonian 
a sermon series that I had devised up. And so hopefully you'll remember what was said last week, and I want to finish it out this week. Then next week is Consecration Sunday, as I said, and Reverend Strait will be bringing our message in the sanctuary. And then November the 30th, we begin Advent. I know it seems, wow, Thanksgiving is here and Advent's coming right up. And November the 30th is First Advent Sunday. And in the life of the church, there are many things going on through the Advent season. It accumulates, of course, with Christmas Eve, candlelight communion, and Christmas itself. Advent's about the coming of the Lord the first time and the coming of the Lord the second time. And so is our uh, final uh, instructions here from the first book of Thessalonians. If you give your attention now to chapter 5, verse 1. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all sons and daughters of the light and sons of the day, and we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank You that we have assurance, assurance of being called Your children and being with You. So help us to understand how we are to prepare for the coming day of the Lord. We pray in Your name. Amen. Well, why do you think that people would want to know when Jesus is coming? Why would you think that? Why, why do you think workers or companies or, or I guess maybe even school teachers and principals might want to know when the superintendent's coming? Uh, who would want to know when the big boss is coming? Why do teenagers left at home alone want to know when mom and dad are coming back? Well, I think we all know. You see, if we know if someone is coming, then we also know how long we have to either get things right, to fix up maybe messes that we have, uh, or to do the things that we know we should do. And we still have enough time to take care of all these changes that need to be made. The thing is, we don't know most time when someone's coming. We don't know. We know they may come, but we are, we're not for sure. But if we do know, we always hedge our bets, don't we? 
and we were ready just in case. Uh, when I worked in the previous life, uh, we had a president of our company who liked to fly his plane. Now the only thing is, is that he would get in his plane and he would, since it was a little small plane, he did never tell anybody where he was going. All we knew was that, uh-oh, the president of the company has gone to the airport. We could time, lots of times we'd know that. And he's gone and got his plane. So where is he coming? Well, I was trying to be uh, prepared, as most of us are, for the unexpected. And so I had got to become real friends with the local airstrip. It was in a little town where the store was that I managed. And I asked the guy, I said, could you let me know if you get a, a call that there's a plane coming in to land? Uh, we, you know, because that's, first of all, there wasn't very many planes that landed. And if one was landing, it could very well be our president because we knew he'd, he'd got, we knew he'd left, he'd left the airport in North Carolina. <clears throat> Lived in Tennessee at the time. Sure enough, I got the call that said there's a plane coming in. We rushed around there. We worked ourselves silly trying to make sure everything was right. And guess what? It was the Kmart manner of press that showed up. Our competition wasn't ours, which is all right with me. But the thing is, is this is the way we go through life. We, instead of keeping things ready, we rush around and like crazy people trying to be ready because we've heard that the Lord's coming. And this is really the wrong way to prepare. Paul uses metaphors in this uh, scripture, I think, that helps us. He talks about the second coming as a thief, as labor pains. You know, if you knew that uh, someone was going to break in to your house, uh, if they had, say, maybe sent you a, a telephone message or or an email, or a postcard, or something, that they were going to come and break in, I think you might have stayed and waited on them. What do you think? Waited on them for, for, for when they came. But the thing is, people don't do that. Uh, just like a criminal doesn't tell us that they're going to come break in, and the little baby that we know is going to come, you don't know till that labor pain starts, the, so is the nature of the second coming. Uh, Jesus clearly said, no one knows the day of the hour. Only the angels in heaven, not the Son, but only the Father. And so Paul says in reference to this, destruction now will come upon those who are not ready. Just as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman or a thief in the night. And in making these two comparisons, he's basically saying a couple of things that we need to be reminded of. One is that it's sudden. It's very, very sudden. Uh, it, it is so sudden, there's no warning. Uh, and it's unavoidable. It's going to happen. And no matter what, it will happen. And so in the first place, there's no warning. And in the second place, there's no escape. So the day of the Lord will come. I wouldn't be much of a minister if I didn't tell you, believers, that the day of the Lord is going to come. We can be confident of that. But it's not a day that believing Christians should fear. We may not know when Christ will come. We may not have a clear picture 
as we'd like to the sequencing of events that lead up to that great day of the Lord. But we do not need to be alarmed by the prospect of the Lord's return. There's no reason for us to be alarmed. Because when Jesus came and lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and rose from the grave, He marked the end then. That is why Jesus proclaimed that God's kingdom was near, that, his, that the kingdom of heaven had arrived upon the world. Christ's life, death, and resurrection inaugurated the end. The entire church age, from the time when Jesus first walked among us until the time that He walks among us again, is always called the last days in the Bible. It's always called the last days. Uh, and the author of Hebrews, for example, says that in the old days, uh, the prophets announced to us and talked to us, but in these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. So the last days describes the final chapter of history. And Paul's point is that since the age to come has dawned on us with the arrival of Jesus, us followers of Jesus, us children of Jesus, us children of the light, if you will, uh, we are children of the light and need not fear, even though we live now still in partial darkness. We should have an expectant, hopeful attitude about the future. In fact, that is why I believe Advent I talk so much about the second coming of the Lord. Because Advent is when we recreate and remember and think about the first coming of the Lord. And all of us have an expectant, hopeful attitude about Christmas. I don't care what age you are. I, I, don't, I don't care if, what your traditions are, you all, everyone always has an expectant, hopeful attitude about Christmas. And that is because no matter what our difficulties are now, we know we belong to the future. We belong to Christmas, you see. We belong to Easter. All these were events that were foretold, and then they arrived suddenly, unavoidably. They came. There were the future. And guess what? We're in the future. We're part of that future. And so that's why it's important for us not to give up hope, not to be afraid, not to be afraid about the coming day of the Lord, but to be alert. We are to be alert. We're to be alert uh, about our own uh, walk with Jesus, how we go about following His commands, we should be alert about the priorities that we take in our life. Uh, what, what do we do with the time that we have? We should be alert uh, to the possibilities we have to help others, to love others, to show compassion and kindness to people. We should be alert and self-controlled and, and not let those, those bad sides of us, those biases and sinful natures of ours uh, ever have uh, rule over us. We must be alert, but we must not be afraid. Remember, when Jesus comes, there will be no time to prepare. So the time to prepare is now.
Now is when we should live life the way Christ would have us to live and boil it down to the absolute essentials. Now, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, there's a beautiful passage that almost everybody knows. And it talks about the three that remain are faith, hope, and love. Okay, that everything uh, really accumulates in faith, hope, and love. And it, that's true. Faith is the confident trust that we have that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And, the, and love is the sacrificial giving of ourselves like Christ did for us, for others. And hope is to be convinced and to have an expectant attitude toward the future. To be convinced that Christmas will come. To be convinced that Easter will come in our life. Uh, to have that hope is so important for us as Christians as we wait for the day of the Lord. And you know, in the final analysis, nothing really makes us secure except the fact that Jesus died for us, rose for us, and will come again for us. Nothing else makes us secure. Uh, it, it doesn't matter if you have a wonderful bank account or no money. It doesn't matter if we live in a great country or a despondent third world country. None of these things are our security. None of these things make us secure. What makes us secure, the only thing that makes us secure as Christian believers is Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that can guard our hearts and our minds and our souls. And it's only through faith and hope and love that we exist and can exist as we journey through this life. I'm convinced more and more that God has set things up for us in nature and natural ways for us to trust and to understand His providential care. Uh, I think that as you get older, you start to learn this better. Uh, one of the things that's always ex I've always wondered about was sleep. Sleep. And there's a lot of words about sleep in this Scripture. Hey, if you ever think about the fact how trusting you are to lay your head down, to close your eyes, and to slip off into the unconsciousness of sleep. You're unconscious. You don't know what's going on. You don't have a clue. I know I've seen many times where people are just sleeping so soundly. And you can have a party can break out and they'll just keep on sleeping. God has gifted us with a cycle, if you think about it, of sleep, which is like death, and rebirth, which is like being awake. Every day of our life, to help us to trust, have faith, and have hope, and that His providential care. So it's important for us to know, and one of the thing, big issues in the Thessalonian church, and I just want to briefly touch on it, is some of the folks there, we're worried because their loved ones was dying before Christ had returned. And it's important for us to know that whether we die before the great day of the Lord or whether we're awake and live to see it, we can be sure that we belong to that day. We can be sure of that. That's our assurance as Christian believers that Christ died for us 
And so we can be fully prepared with faith, love, and hope. Listen again to the Apostle Paul as he writes to the Ephesian church. Listen to these words. They're beautiful words. Because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. And it's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. The conclusion of all this is simply the last part of the Scripture I read. Encourage each other and build each other up. You see, that is what we are to do. We are to take these words of promise given to us by our Lord and we're to encourage each other with these words as we await the great day of the Lord, as we live through this life into the next. May you always be an encourager. An encourager. Amen. Let us stand and affirm our faith. Let us, use our, let us um, join our voices together. We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God who has created and is creating. Who has come in Jesus, the Word made flesh, to reconcile and make new. Who works in us and others by the Spirit. We trust in God. We're called to be the church. To celebrate God's presence. To love and serve others. To seek justice and resist evil to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, our judge and our hope, in life and death, in life beyond death. God is with us. We're not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Let our ushers come forward as we receive our tithes and our offerings.
know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship, communion of the Holy Spirit. Amen. week.